What are the largest expenses of running an RIA? That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is question number 63. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available uh, from the entire uh, question and answer series in video format, podcast format. I have white papers. Again, everything at transitiontoria.com. Check it out. Okay. On today's episode, this is a question I get uh, asked quite frequently. Someone saying, hey, I want to move into that RA model. You know, what kind of economics can I expect to, uh, to, to achieve? What kind of bottom line economics uh, would, would the model produce? Uh, and then specifically kind of, hey, what are some of the largest expenses of running my own RIA? And kind of, kind of what does that look like? What are those costs? And it's, and it's hard to give any across the board answer on some of those because every practice, that's one, and this is one of the, the benefits of the RA model, Every practice can be run so unique to what that specific advisor team wants to set their, their firm up with, both, both from their overhead cost to the services they offer, all those sorts of things. So um, it, it's hard to give any one answer of, oh, hey, it, it would cost X dollars. Uh, but I do want in this episode, go through some of the biggest expense drivers and kind of give you some perspective on how to look at them and, and how those prices can fluctuate and what you can do about it. Um, so to, to start with, I wanted to kind of frame it by reminding you that the, the the exercise of leaving where you are now, no matter what kind of firm you're at. So if you're a W2 type firm, like a wirehouse firm, or you're at an independent broker dealer firm, or maybe you're even at an existing RIA and you want to break away and start your own, the, the exercise of transitioning into that kind of RIA model is to ask yourself, okay, what does my current firm provide for me now? And how will I replicate that if I start my own uh, independent shop. And I have a checklist on this uh, that, that helps you kind of visualize that. If you'd like it, uh, reach out to me. I can send it over to you. Um, but that's the exercise that it's at its most basic level. So, okay, what are they providing for me now? So if you're at, you know, a wirehouse firm, you do need to, to say to yourself, okay, they are providing me things like a, an office and they are providing me technology. And for better or worse, they've provided me compliance. Um, and so you, you identify what is being provided for you. And then you identify how will you replicate it on your own. And of course, the, the goal is to do it for less money than it's currently costing you and, and hopefully provide you uh, more flexibility with what you want to do with your practice. And so having that conversation, of course, is something I do with advisors all the time is walking through all of these variables. But on this episode, I did want to dive into you know, a couple of them. Uh, and, and again, to preface it before we get into the list, also keep in mind, you know, if you think, oh, wow, if I go into that RA model, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to quote unquote, pay for certain things. But the reality is you are paying for these things now. Like I said, you, you, you can do that list, go through that checklist and say, okay, what does my current firm provide for me now? And, and you are paying for those. It's just in part of your payout. So as you might've heard me say before, I've written a number of articles on this as well. I always encourage you to look at your, your quote unquote payout in the inverse. So to use very simple numbers here, uh, if you are at say a wirehouse firm and you're producing $1 million in trail and 12 production, again, we're just gonna keep very simple numbers here. Um, and let's say your payout is 40%. It's never that simple. There's all kinds of, of variables and gotchas and, and, and changes to it that, that would make that fluctuate 
but but let's just say it's 40% again for simplicity. So you say, okay, I'm producing a million dollars in, in, in fees and in commission revenue, and I get to keep 40%, so I get to keep 400,000. Um, I would say, no, no, stop thinking of it that way. Think of it as you keep 100%. After all, it is you out there generating this revenue for the firm. And in return to support those efforts, the firm is providing you with things. They are providing you perhaps with an office in technology and maybe a staff member or things like that. And so in return for that, you are paying them. So you look at the, instead of looking at what you keep of your payout, look at what the inverse, what you pay. So that advisor, the million dollar production, if they're in the 40% payout, that also means the firm, of course, is keeping 60% or to quantify it, which I always encourage advisors to do, that is $600,000. So the, what you need to do is you need to say, okay, well, what is my current firm providing for me now? How much am I paying them for? This example could be 600,000. Uh, obviously, if you're a smaller, larger advisor, that number is going to change. And then can I replicate what they are providing me for ideally less than $600,000 and in a more flexible manner that I'll be more satisfied with? And so don't think that you're not paying for it now. You are paying for it the challenge, if anything, is you are just getting a single, essentially non-itemized bill for all these expenses. So as opposed to seeing a line item, oh, here's, here's what you're paying for office and here's what you're paying for compliance. It's just this single kind of inverse of the payout uh, and you pay it and, and the route is you have little to no control over those expense items. You, you are paying your 60%, your 600,000, or if you're a $2 million producer, obviously it's gonna be twice as much as that. Um, and, and they provide you services, but you pretty much have no say over how those expenses are managed and where you might choose to be maybe more flexible or not spend as much on something that doesn't, that doesn't impact you. If you're, if you're in that kind of payout arrangement, because it is always going to go to the firm and they're the ones that manage the expenses. So just, just some things to keep in mind. Whereas in the RIA model, again, you are going to be running your own PL, your own profit and loss statement, and you are going to be choosing how, how much to pay and how to deliver on the resources that you need to uh, and what those expense items are going to be. So a lot more flexibility to manage your PL and to surround yourself with the specific services and solutions that you are satisfied with, not just this non-itemized bill uh, of, of solutions that's presented to you. So uh, to dive into a couple of these topics, this is no, no particular order, but these are just some of the larger expenses of running your own RIA. So number one, the first one I'll talk about is your office or real estate. This is often one of the largest expenses of having your own RIA. Typically, it is a fixed expense. Well, yes, the, the, if you lease a, an office, the lease might go up occasionally. Even if you own it, property taxes could go up. But typically, it's mostly a fixed expense, but it's generally a sizable expense in the equation. Again, you're paying for real estate now. It's just via your, via your payout. So on the, on the office, uh, the way to think about it now, and this has really changed because of COVID over the past couple of years, that there was a time the default would be, well... Yet you have to go out and build out an office that's pretty much similar to whatever you kind of currently have available to you now. So you might have multiple offices for you and your other team members. You might have desks or offices for members of your staff, and maybe you need one or two conference rooms because that's the apparent status quo of what clients, whoever thought clients demanded to, to have. And, and now that's kind of all gone out the window with COVID. So there's kind of three, just to give you some uh, three examples of approaches to, to real estate that I, that I kind of hear going forward, because 
Now in this kind of more virtual Zoom world we live in, the question is, do you need to fully even replicate what you currently have now? So, so kind of a couple of scenarios of that. So, so one is, yes, that more traditional, you can go out there and get that more traditional office, um, build it out as much as you need to, and, and kind of replicate a lot of what you have now, but, but perhaps in a more convenient location or to accommodate more or less staff members or whatever the case is gonna be very customized to you uh, and provide kind of a similar experience to what you have now with your clients. I, I hear advisors wanting to still do that and that's fine. Uh, then there's other advisors that say, you know what? Now, because of COVID, I'm, I'm meeting with a lot of my clients virtually remotely over Zoom or whatever the case is. And a lot of them are probably going to want to continue to do that. So I don't know that I need as big of an office complex, uh, which, which also means more expensive if you have a full-size office setup. And, and maybe I can have a smaller footprint, or maybe maybe it still is important to me to have you know, a nice conference room that I can bring clients into for the ones that want to come in, or maybe that prospective client I want to show a physical presence to. And maybe we could just have you know, one or two offices that, that are kind of, kind of visiting offices, whoever happens to be in that day, can use that, use that office. And so all of a sudden I need a smaller footprint than I once envisioned. And again, this is where it's coming back where when you control the PL, you can all of a sudden say, hey, maybe I don't need as much office and, and I can uh, just as well get by with less. And guess what? That savings on needing a smaller footprint flows right to my bottom line. So, so I'm seeing that kind of middle ground. Uh, and then there are some advisors that, that from the very start, if they're a new, new uh, upstart advisor, but even, even existing practices that are moving more to a virtual setup where they say, hey, either I'm going to go see the client, I'm going to go to them, wherever that might be, at a house or some third-party location. Uh, and then other than that, it's mostly, if not entirely, going to be virtual uh, via this sort of thing, via like a Zoom. And, and, and you see that even with advisors that have even changed states uh, for, for whatever reason, but that, that's been happening with COVID as well. And, and they still keep all their same clients. It's just done virtually and maybe occasionally they fly in and, and, and complement that more virtual approach with maybe, a, uh, you know, with these office suites you can, you can rent by the day or by the hour and use that sort of thing. Um, and I even had one, uh, one wirehouse team I'm talking to uh, that, that they're brainstorming saying, hey, yeah, we generally go to our clients um, or we do it virtual now, but the one place we do sometimes meet is they were members of a local social club, um, kind of like a higher end social club uh, that has meeting facilities and, 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 you know, restaurant and all that sort of thing. And they would meet clients there now. And the thought was, well, well, wow, maybe that can just be the times that we do. And, then, and I guess the clients really like it. It's very nice social setting. Uh, very nice atmosphere. And so they're, they're thinking, wow, maybe we don't need an, an ongoing consistent office footprint. We'll go virtual. We'll go to the client. And when we do want uh, a, a third or a facility, a conference room, whatever, we'll just reserve one of the, the uh, facilities at the social club that we can use. And, and the cost of doing that will be significantly less than us having a kind of a permanent office setup. And by the way, because now we're small business owners, we can actually write off the cost of our of our membership and that that social club, and of course the, the any any rental fees of that facility. So the idea being, the, the 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 world is is there for you to choose from in this real estate expenses. Do you want the full uh, build out and the fanciest office tower in town on the on the highest floor in town? Well, guess what? Your expense is going to be the largest for that. Or do you want to go the fully other other end? Like I said, mostly virtual, maybe some some sort of footprint. Uh, physical footprint to use in one fashion or another. 
obviously that's going to change your your economics on that but you have control over over how much or how little you want to spend so as you think about think of a creative approaches to it and don't you know five years ago i think everyone had to default to that standard setup and for many advisors many teams that still will make sense because of how they interact with their clients but but again we live in a different world now with with covid having come uh, so, so think that through as you think about your office expense. Okay, number two is staff. So uh, this is the same type of thing. You have a lot of flexibility over how big of a team do you want. And so the larger team you have, obviously that's going to drive your, your costs and expenses higher. And, and part of this equation is asking yourself, how much do I want to outsource with my practice? And so I've talked about this in articles and a number of episodes of the idea of you, you can kind of do everything in-house on site, or there are an increasingly array of, of third-party solutions that you can outsource a lot of the middle and back office tasks of running an RIA firm. And yes, you have to pay for that, but you don't have to manage the staff on your own. You don't have to worry about hiring or maybe firing staff. Uh, and you, and you, don't, you don't have to provide them with benefits because again, you're outsourcing it to a third party. So as you think about staff, and inevitably you will need and want staff is how, again, how big of a team do I need or want? Uh, what do I want to maybe outsource to reduce some of that cost? And, and on an extreme example, I heard a story once as a, as a podcast, uh, talked about an advisor, and I think it was close to like a billion dollars that this advisor managed with, I think, only one other person on his team because he, he outsourced effectively everything else. He outsourced the asset management, he outsourced the middle and back office tasks, and he ran a very lean firm successfully because he said, hey, I, I'm only going to do the things I like doing that I think I add value with, and I'm not afraid of outsourcing the rest and letting someone else handle it. And so as you think through staff, Again, we live, in, we live in a different world now, whether that staff needs to be physically present, whether you can do virtual uh, or, or remotely located staff, um, a lot of flexibility, but it, it is what it is. That is one of the larger costs of running RAs. How big is your team going to be uh, and, and what's the cost structure of that look like? Okay, number three is technology. So I did a recent episode on what is a technology stack. So if you want to dive further into that, uh, please check out that episode as well. Uh, but at a very high level in the RIA model, there's, there's a, a number of different ways to access technology, but the more traditionally widely used approach is to build what's, what's often referred to as a third-party technology stack. So while you might use some of the technology of your custodian or custodians, sometimes uh, you might uh, there might come a time you'll have more than one custodian. Um, but typically you separate the main core parts of that technology from the custodian so that you can more easily manage and, and have an efficient practice, particularly if you are multi-custodial. So the cost of that technology stack will of course come on to your PL. And so there are some key components to that. Again, if you look at the, the episode I did on technology stacks, it goes into more detail, but there's arguably some must haves. You will need that portfolio management tool, which is kind of the core piece that does things like performance reporting or rebalancing of accounts. Uh, you will need a CRM to keep track of all your existing and prospective clients. You will likely, if you do financial planning, need a financial planning tool. And then there's other kinds of little bells and whistles you can, you can add on there. But that is an expense that you will have to cover and depends on how, how big of a tech stack you build out. That, that is a sizable expense. Now, again, don't think you're not paying for technology now. You are. Your firm is providing you technology. 
often you have no choice if you're at a large uh, W-2 firm or independent broker dealer. You must use, you have to use the technology they provide. Hopefully it's technology you like. Uh, but if it's not, you have no recourse, you have no ability to go out in the market and say, wow, this is actually a better a better CRM or this is a better financial planning tool. Uh, in the RIA space, you have the flexibility to build that out. And, and just the mental exercises, you have to accept essentially seeing an itemized bill for each of these technology pieces. Whereas if, if you're at that traditional broker-dealer environment now, it's just in that blurred kind of bundled bill, a non-itemized bill they give you, but but you're paying for it now. The question is, would you rather create your own bespoke set of technology solutions, but be willing to see the bill for each one, or do you, do you just want it kind of bundled up essentially kind of thing? And I'll get into how you can bundle it up if that's if that's still appealing to you. But make no mistake, technology is a, is a meaningful expense. Um, next is a TAMP solution. So TAMP is Turnkey Asset Management Program. Did a whole episode on this as well, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But in short, if you if your value proposition is such that you outsource the, the management of the assets to a third party, so that might be a separately managed account managers, that might be a model marketplace, that sort of thing. A TAMP is the platform that gives you access to those solutions. And so there are costs involved in that. So the difference is, hey, do we manage our assets in-house? And by the way, if you do, you need to factor in both the tangible, perhaps salaries of members of your team and the intangibles. It's time for, for your team members, you maybe have an investment committee, all that sort of thing uh, that go into delivering that in-house. Or if you outsource it to a third-party TAMP, again, did a whole episode on that, there is cost involved in that. You will want to understand what those costs are and how that impacts your PL as well. So it is important to think, okay, am I going to use a third-party TAMP solution? And then how is that priced out? What are my options? There's an entire range of options, both from more basic to more extravagant and, and price points all along, but that will flow back to your PL that you need to be uh, aware of. Excuse me. Um, and then the last one that I want to talk about in today's episode is compliance. Number five is compliance. Um, I've done all kinds of episodes talking about how you satisfy your compliance requirements. Uh, but at a, at a very high level, as your own RIA, if you have your own RIA, you are required to have a designated chief compliance officer, a CCO. Now, that doesn't have to be a standalone CCO. Oftentimes, it's not. It's someone wearing multiple hats. And so you might say, well... I'm not a compliance professional. I have no interest in being a compliance professional. So how or why would I ever want to do that? And the reality is there's an entire kind of ecosystem within the industry to support the, the what you need to do to satisfy that requirement. So the typical approach is you use uh, third-party specialty compliance consultant firms that you hire and say, okay, hey, I have this responsibility. Apparently, there's things I'm supposed to be doing throughout the year. There's uh, once annual exercises I need to be doing as rules change. How do I adapt? Well, you, you don't have to worry about figuring that out. And you pay these firms to help guide you on that process. Uh, but there is an expense with that. And, and it depends. There's different ranges of that uh, all the way up to having a fully, you could actually outsource, have an outsource CCO. And of course, that's going to have a, that's going to have a prior high or a higher price point. Um, but the idea is that is a cost. It is a cost you need to factor in. Um, but I always, always quickly point out people say, oh, I have to pay for compliance if I, if I go the RA role. Well, again, you're paying for compliance now. It's just built into your payout. However, right now, again, this is assuming if you're at a broker dealer environment, 
You have no say in that compliance apparatus. If you are not satisfied with the, the team members there or how they uh, deal with things or if they're responsive or not to, you have no say. You are captive to that compliance department. Take it or leave it. In the RIA world, you, for the first time uh, likely in your career, are the client of compliance. So what I mean by that is you go out there and engage one of these compliance consultant firms and if and you do need to listen to what they tell you, if they say, hey, you can or can't do something, you're hiring them to help you understand the rules and stay within them. But to the degree they are not responsive, they are not willing to uh, think through creative solutions, they're not timely in getting back to you, you actually have the ability to, to fire that compliance consultant firm and hire another one. So the, the flexibility to manage your compliance is significantly more in the RA space However, again, you have to be willing to mentally see an itemized bill that says, okay, here's how much I'm paying for compliance, because you will have to pay for that. Uh, and again, there's a range of compliance consultant solutions uh, for more basic, which then puts more of the onus back on you uh, to, to, to a very full service type offering, but obviously at a higher price point. So that's going to affect your P&L as well. Uh, so those are five of the big kind of costs of running your own RIA. Not an exhaustive list by anything. There's other costs, of course, like marketing, how you're going to market your firm, what that cost is going to look like, obtaining errors and omission insurance, E&O insurance. I've done episodes on both of those topics, and there's, there's other smaller expense items as well. So I, I don't want this to come across as some all-inclusive all list of all the expenses you'll have. Again, reach out to me. I have a checklist that will really help you think through the, the things that you would need to replace that maybe you, your current firm is already providing for you. Uh, but you build that out and you build it out in, in the most flexible way you want it to be built out. Um, but of course, you do have to pay for those resources. Uh, and, and the last thing I would leave it for or leave this episode with, uh, which is kind of related to that is, again, one of the benefits of the RE model is your flexibility to go out there and, and pick and choose from the hundreds, literally hundreds of different vendors and solution providers in the industry from everything from technology to custodians to compliance consultant firms, all, all, that, all those sorts of variables that go into it. Um, and a lot of advisors love that. And they say, yeah, I, I do want to pick and choose from all these different things. And I do want to figure out why I like this one versus this one and, and, and what are the costs and all this. And then other advisors say, you know what? I want more flexibility than I have now. I want the benefits of the RE model. But I, I myself don't necessarily prefer to go out there and have to piece together a technology stack or figure out how I'm going to do my fee billing, or maybe uh, get a TAMP platform integrated. And so there, there's an increasing uh, uh, group of solution providers that, that recognize that and say, okay, hey, we are going to go out and we are going to bundle up some of these, that's generally the more core commoditized pieces of running a, an advisory practice and say, hey, advisor, as opposed to you piecing those together, which you're not really adding any extra value with some of those items. That's not where the clients are attracted to you because of your behind the scenes tech stack or, or how it is you, you logistically perform your fee bill in every quarter or every month or whatever it is you do. And so, hey, we, we will bundle up those core pieces for you with what we feel is best in breed. And by the way, we have more scale than you have. So we're going to be able to obtain those services for a lower price. And we'll bundle that up. And, and all you have to do is your due diligence just on us and what we've built out. And if you like that, hey, we do a lot of that behind the scenes tasks. Again, often referred to as middle and back office tasks for you. Uh, and so that, that simplifies your P&L, simplifies the logistics of running your firm. Uh, pros and cons to both of these approaches. For some advisors love building out their own bespoke solutions from all the hundreds of options. Others say, you know what? I want to focus on things where I can really add value with my clients. 
and I want to outsource the rest. And I'd rather outsource to as few vendors as needed because that will be easier for me to manage and I get some cost savings with that. And so I look at those options as well. And that is a great solution for many advisors and, and teams also. So just be aware that that exists. So these are expenses you, you have to cover. Um, you can do it entirely on your own. You can outsource some of it. And then there are even solutions where you're effectively outsourcing almost every expense that, that comes with it. And you are almost solely wearing the hat of advisor, not, not business owner at that point, because someone else is handling most of those uh, expense items and the logistics associated with them. Uh, and it's just important to understand these options as, as you try to think through what is best for you. Uh, so with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales. This is the kind of conversation I have with advisors all day long is talking through topics like this. Okay, if you were to make this move, what are those expense drivers? How much would they cost? Who are the solution providers in each of those spaces? Do you want to use one of these bundled solution approaches or build it out yourself? Uh, and that's a typical exercise of thinking through how do I transition to the RA model? I'm uh, happy to have that conversation with you as well, if you'd like. Uh, if you're not already there, again, if you head on over to transition to RIA.com, uh, you can find all my resources, the additional episodes I've referenced. Again, I have them in video format, podcast format. I have white papers. Uh, and at the top of every page is a contact link. Uh, if you click on that, you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me to talk about either today's topic or anything RIA, RIA related about potentially transitioning your practice into it. I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. For now, though, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.